TBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. I don't know yet, but I'm excited. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Yes! 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 That's wonderful. Let's start off with something stupid. How are you? Like, you can even answer that. I am Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on the DBN Network. How you doing? I'm here, uh, and you're here, and I'm happy that both of those things are true. Happy to have you there, and uh, happy that I'm able to be speaking with you. It's been um, a week since last we talked, two weeks since uh, the, the big draft moment that uh, you heard replay i'm gonna i mean i'm gonna keep that there the uh, open with uh the reaction of the drafting of mayfield i'm gonna do that because it's it, to me it was the the biggest moment of my browns watching life and that's you know that spans over 25 years at this point um actually longer than that now as we head into uh the off season in <clears throat> In earnest now, it really is the off season because it's the time where there's just not really a whole lot to talk about. You know, the the end of the season is well for us. The end of the season was like what week week four. You know, week five. I mean, as far as functionally being eliminated from playoff contention or whatever, but as far as the actual, you know, the, the after we're done and even after the regular season is done, after we go through the. <laughs> the embarrassment of the 0 and 16 season and then you have the the playoffs obviously and that's you know even though we're even though we're never in it it's still you know it's fun to watch and and it's still it's still football it's still really relevant and you know then you got to go through that whole process and you have the the Super Bowl and then right after that's all done with you've got you know the league year begins with uh the you know the whole process of i mean you have in other words there's there's the whole process of after the season is over you immediately go into you know the the acquisition free agency trading people is usually when all that happens and then that that is its own you know spike of you know players moving around and we went this year we had you know probably in in both arenas the draft and free agency we probably had our our most i don't know splashiest if you want to look at it that way uh, that I can remember in in both regards, and and you know, uh, kudos to uh, John Dorsey. Well, uh, we'll get into that as we go along, but the um, the draft then you know follows you know well the draft is basically going on the whole time, right? Because you're you know you're scouting players after the uh, the bowl games end, and then you got the Senior Bowl and all that. Uh, but that kind of has you know there's only so much that you can really talk about. Then you have the combine that happens shortly after free agency and all this. I mean there's there's all there's just this stuff that's going on. And then you've got you know the weeks building up to the draft. You've got all of the speculation. You've got the mocks and you know you're reading the mocks. And if you're I, I did um, not as much this year as I did last year, but the uh, the the um, simulated mocks where you can actually see who's going to be available and and what rounds and so on. And you just there, you're so there's so much football, right? I mean there's just so much stuff to uh, talk about football wise and then the draft happens and then after the draft it's like all right all these players you know we we learn about all these players we and we're still kind of in that process a little bit but then you get to about where we are now where it's just all right man there ain't ain't nothing ain't nothing football wise now i don't want to say there ain't nothing i mean (laughs) there's the cleveland cavaliers going to the eastern conference finals after 
I mean, manhandling the Toronto Raptors. Did you get, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Did, did it occur to you at any point that maybe uh, they did a little, little okey-doke? Like, maybe Indiana was, I mean, Indiana seemed much, much tougher, right? If you follow uh, this the series at all, I mean, they, they gave them everything they could handle and took them all the way to the end. I mean, was maybe some of that is maybe some of that some gamesmanship in other words if you could if you could take a team like indiana that if they really are uh you know as good as their their seating represented and you're uh the cavaliers who you know are are obviously very good still and they look at it like we could, we could handle these guys at any point that we need to but what if we you know didn't do that and we want we go about this in such a way that we're where we we demonstrate weaknesses that aren't actually there right like maybe we we demonstrate on and give some film of us not being able to do things that we know how to do and i'm just look i'm just wild this is tinfoil land you know left field i'm i'm just having having a little bit of fun here uh and and you say that that you know is the case so that way, when Toronto's like, all right, man, we're going to beat, this is the year we're going to beat LeBron. Look at the, these guys are screwing up here. We're going to eat their lunch in this, you know, this, this place, this area. And then the Cavs just go out and just, I mean, they just knocked them all around for four games. And so they're going to be heading to the finals and they're going to be going against uh, Kyrie and the Celtics. And that is, so I mean, that, that's going on. And that's cool. That's great. And you got the Indians doing what they're doing, which is, I'm not really too uh, concerned. They're, I don't even want to say middling at this point. They're, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I I think there's there's been something of a of a hangover from last year where they had you know I mean you go to the World Series which really was kind of a surprise you know in uh, 2016 when they made it to you know all the way to the World Series, and then as close as it got you know you have that that sense that uh you know that you're going to get right back there and last year you know a little bit of um actually about like it has been this year as far as you know uh inconsistency at the beginning of the year and then you know the pitching settled in and he had the 22 game winning streak and they just looked like a powerhouse going into the playoffs and ended up losing in the first round so i think there may have been there may be a bit of a hangover uh for that but I mean, right now uh, they're still at the top of the division. The division is, um, you know, it's it's fairly weak. They'd be, you know, fourth place if they were in the uh, East, for example. Uh, but you know, they're 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 where they need to be right now, and it's still. Hey, I mean, it, it's better for them to be sitting there at first place. I mean, the White Sox are nine and twenty six. That's and what's interesting about that number is I remember that the year that they won the World Series. Uh, they started off the year twenty-seven and nine. I, I just, I just ha- I happen to remember because I remember the Indians were playing them, and I remember that that uh, that that stat. Like, wow, that's a hell of a start to a year, and it's almost exactly reversed here. And that's cool because I hate the White Sox. Actually, I pretty much hate every team because I'm I'm an Indians guy. You know, obviously, that's my team. You know, through and through, always always has been. I, I the reason that I even care about baseball is because I love the Indians, and then after that is the Tampa Bay Rays, and so because those are my two teams uh, I pretty much hate every team in the American League all of them but none more than the Yankees followed then by the Red Sox and then there's everybody actually followed by that is probably the White Sox uh, and then everybody in the AL Central and you know the AL East after that and and, and you know the wet the West for good measure except I don't really care about Houston you know really because they're, they're they're relatively new but um to to the to the AL 
but oh, whatever. All I'm saying is that that's that 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 stuff's going on and that's cool. Um, but it's still not it's still not the Browns, right? It's still not football. It's still not uh, the thing that that ties all of us together in this um, this this little uh, cloistered world that we that we uh, uh, connect in. And, I mean, I, presuming presumably that uh, most of you or all of you that are here are the, because of uh, DogsByNature.com, which is not. Uh, officially uh, related to the uh, the DBN network, although we do have a symbiotic relationship with uh, like interests. Thus, that's where most of us know each other from. And so, if you know if that's where if that's where you be, then yeah, you probably have some interest in some of these other things that I'm talking about. But the with the Cavaliers and the Indians, respectively. Or uh, likewise, I know some of y'all are into the Blue Jackets. I don't know if they're still uh, playing, but for me, the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are advancing you know in the in fact i think they're playing tonight as a matter of fact in the uh nhl playoffs and i would be very enthusiastic to see them but i mean it's like on the scale of things i i haven't watched a single uh bolts playoff game this year and i and it's i mean yeah i'm, I'm a, am I a terrible fan i don't care what I, I as far as that goes i don't i I'm, I'm not a hockey fan if cleveland would have had a hockey team and i know they're the lumberjacks and I watched the Lumberjacks. I remember it. I tried to get into it. I mean, I, I watched. I, I maybe caught a game here or there uh, trying to really get into it. I just, I just could It was like it's like the few times in my life that I tried to get into NASCAR and because I knew people that were that were into it. And they're like, hey, man, we're going to get drunk as hell and watch NASCAR. I'm like, All right, I'll try. Uh, but I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like try you know, like try to get into like the statistical relevance of, of some of the stuff and it just it, it it i just i just it i i couldn't feel it right i just couldn't get into it uh, and so if there's people that can't get into you know uh baseball and and you know soccer or whatever uh and with hockey i just every time i watch it it's like this is the most awesome game in the world this is like these guys are amazing uh, but I mean, really, it only matters if uh, there's a team that I care about because if they're, and that's kind of the whole point is that the like basketball, for example, I love the Cavaliers, but if the Cavaliers didn't exist, I probably wouldn't watch basketball because I just don't care. Uh, like the only reason that I care about the game of basketball is because of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I don't have a, a corollary like I don't care about the Magic at all. Uh, there, the, the Cavaliers are the only uh, basketball team that I have, and likewise, the uh, the Bolts are the only uh, hockey team that I have. I have no allegiance whatsoever to the Blue Jackets, but I'm just saying that my level of interest in in the Lightning and hockey generally, like I haven't watched a single playoff game. Whereas, okay. The Browns over the last 53 games have gone 4 and 49 and I have seen every play. It's just it's just a difference in scale. And so if you're like me in that way and or you're close to that in any kind of twisted manner, then uh, then then yeah, this is this is the slow time of year. And I've uh, I've written about in the past. I don't know that I've talked about it, but maybe I will get into it a little bit here uh, with with this is um, a you know an option for what you could potentially do vis a vis a like a, a spring league. Now I know that the XFL is uh, going to be kicking off here, I guess, in a year or so, and there's like another semi-pro team that I heard about somewhere along the line. But I think that a 
a viable. And if you're, if anybody that has any influence with anybody is concerned about the the level of competition that that a new league could bring, and if you're not, then I you know I get that too. But I'm saying if you are, then maybe you know if you have influence with somebody, you could pay attention to this, and and it might you know make. I'll, maybe I'll get into that later on. The the, the spring league idea that could be uh, a a boon for the league in a number of ways and improve the product and give the fans something that they want and just benefit all of society and humankind as a whole. Maybe I'll get into that later on. But I had a a, a, a message from a guy um, that I wanted to honor first. A really good dude. And I, I love you guys, seriously. Anybody that's listening to this, you need to know that I love you deeply. And as, if this this guy um, said that he... he uh, is, his name's Josh. Joshua, and I'll just go and um, read some of it here. He's, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I'm a DBN member, but I never post or comment. I do, however, listen to all the shows. My question pertains to the – which, man, I appreciate it, and I'm just saying I love you guys. Anybody that listens to this, you guys are, are just the best. And if – like like this, for example, he's got a question, and if you want to ever do this, man, hit me up, easyweave at gmail.com, and I'll talk – literally about anything that you want but uh my question josh going back to joshua here uh, my question pertains to our offensive line depth it seems to me like we have been throwing bodies at the problem for two drafts now and we're kind of waiting to see what sticks particularly at tackle it also seems like tackles in general are not being prepared enough at the college level to step in and play right away that being said we acquired an experienced veteran in donald stevenson this year but we have several guys that are looking to make a year two jump what are the chances that we see some surprise development from players like Rod Johnson, Drango, or Coleman? I would also say that last year's experience probably gives better starting odds to Spencer Drango or even Sean Coleman at left tackle. You kind of breezed over the O-line analysis in your podcast last week, citing Joel Batonio as Corbett, uh, likely starters at left tackle, and Corbett. Any thoughts on potential two-year breakout guys? Also, you used the phrase fait accompli twice in the last episode, ever thought of a word of the day segment i have not and not to undercut your hearth it's just not one i've never been one for a to do like um i don't know like regular features i mean i'm if if you've listened to this for any length of of time now which we're coming up on two years y'all which is really kind of surprising for me but the that, that it's still here right that we're still doing this um but if you if you listen i'm very very off the cuff um i'm kind of unstructured um, not necessarily by design. It just kind of just kind of fell that way. I mean, originally I was like going to do segments. I had this whole big, you know, like uh, organized template for how the whole thing was going to be for everybody, not just me. But it, as things evolved, it just it didn't work that way for everybody else. And for me, the really the best way has um, just been to kind of extemporaneously. Uh, tell you what I'm thinking as if we are having a conversation. The thing is, the way that my mind works is I am pretty well able to not necessarily organize my thoughts, but to jump from one thought to the next with some sort of uh, segue capability that uh, makes you know makes some semblance of sense. Nevertheless, um, I think that a a something a word of the day is something that is just random enough that or, or and not requiring to do like you know. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm conveying, quite frankly, or quite well, what I'm uh, trying, what what my aversion is to uh, doing regularly scheduled things. Um, I guess what I'm saying though is that I'm cool with having a, a word of the day, and um, I'll, I'll talk about that here in a moment. But first, the the offensive line situation, and and you're talking uh, specifically about the depth. 
And if we're talking about the depth, then my starting place here is that right now, and and I know that this is not a, a shared opinion amongst the throng that hangs out at the uh, the Chow on a daily basis and and uh, other places on the site, but I, I'm pretty well um, of the the full mind and without a whole lot of doubt that the starter at left tackle is going to be Austin Corbett, and I, I think that there's there the reason for that is what I, I kind of said on draft night when uh, when we were kind of taking it all in because I think it was a surprise for a lot of people that that was going to be our selection. I think there's, quite frankly, there, people weren't really familiar with him and didn't really know how to, uh, you know, digest because the guy, because all of the scouting reports had him as a guard. Uh, but when we drafted him, he was drafted as a tackle. And a, a uh, an opposite of this was when Dallas selected Connor Williams, who everybody had as a tackle, who I actually would be, was was kind of pounding the table for as a tackle. And yet, when the Cowboys drafted him, they announced him as a guard. So, you know, obviously, there's a difference of opinion, and there was certainly on Corbett about what position he was going to play. And in our case, I think that given the fact that we had an entire day to consider what to do with the 33rd pick overall. It's not like we were rushed into it. I mean, we, the draft ended on, on uh, Thursday night. We had all day long. We had a chance to field every off. You know, we had, similarly, uh, in 2016, we had this, and we went with Emmanuel Ogba. And I still think that was a good uh, pick, and I think Ogba is going to be a beast this year, but we'll get to that later on. The selection of Corbett, it, to me, signifies a, an investment in a guy that they plan on playing. They didn't draft the guy because they don't expect him to be playing. They, they, didn't, they didn't draft the guy because he's going to be backing up Joel Batoni or Kevin Zeitler. And both of those guys are quality players that are under contract for a long time and cost the team a lot of money. Now, one of the um, theories out there is that this allows Joel Batonio to move out to left tackle. I don't think that's part of the equation. I think that Batonio has shown himself to be a quality player at the guard position. I do think, however, that he has a very important role here. And I think that his being on the team and his being you know, a, a member of the team that's signed for long term is, is a, a, a reason why Corbett was the selection here. Because they have a relationship. You know, uh, Austin Corbett and Joel Batonio have uh, – they, they well – Batonio was the left tackle at Nevada. He graduated, and we drafted him. And then Corbett took over for him after and has been the starter for the last four years since uh, Batonio has been playing for us. And he was, and they train together. They know each other. And they are pretty similar as prospects. And Batonio was, you know, he came into the league as a left tackle, and he moved him to guard. And I think that the, the calculus here is that playing next to a guy that he's familiar with, uh, that that he already has, you know that. Rel- and plus, he's just he had. If you look at the tape of this guy, he can he can perform at the tackle level. So I say all that to say that I don't think that there's going to be a competition for this. I mean, other than there'll be if, if there's a if there's a significant you know difference in in uh, uh, playing skill between he and uh, whoever else is is at the tackle uh, spot. 
then, you know, certainly you would think that that would be, you know, taken into consideration. You'll say, okay, even though we expected to play this guy at tackle, it's not working out. We've got to put somebody else in there. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm projecting two things, that he is going walking into this as the starter and that he will hold the starting job. That's, that, that's what I think is going to happen. And then the rest of the line is still uh, pretty well set. You've got Batonio at left guard. You've got J.C. Treader at center. You've got Kevin Zeitler at right guard. And you've got uh, Chris Hubbard at right tackle, who just signed a big contract, and so and he's going to be the right tackle. So at that point... If you're looking, the question that you asked, Joshua, was about the depth. And I did kind of skim over that a little bit. You know, we drafted Rod Johnson last year, and he didn't play at all. He was a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick. I think it was an early fifth-round pick. But uh, we traded up to get him. We, we uh, bundled assets and, and uh, moved up in order to acquire his, his uh, services. He was one of the more highly touted tackles at the beginning of the process had a number of, of things that dropped him throughout uh, the pro- – but, you know, a, a guy that has a, a, a not insignificant amount of, uh, of, of high-end talent that could – you know, and, and he's a guy that didn't play at all last year. He was essentially redshirted, much like Sean Coleman the year before. Uh, Sean Coleman was the right tackle all of last year. The year before that, he didn't play at all. He was – well, he played in the final game against Pittsburgh. Him and uh, Cameron Irving uh, shared – uh, snaps. Uh, they basically split time at right tackle, and then Coleman played at right tackle all of last year. And so, uh, I, I it's it, and, and you know I think that Sean Coleman is a guy that probably should be the the first option at left tackle, even after having drafted Austin Corbett. But I'm just I, I'm I'm trying to balance um, you know kind of what what I what my druthers would be based on my own kind of scouting of the situation observation of all of these guys and what I know about them over time uh, and, and and how it pertains to the present I mean I have my ideas of things but I, I also have to balance that with what is likely to happen given who the players are here and by, and by players I'm talking about both the the actual physical players that are in uniform but also the the coaches and the, uh, the the people that are going to be making these roster decisions, both as far as who we keep, who we put on the the practice squad, and who is it in the various depth chart positions. So, with uh, with with that in mind, I, I would prefer that Sean Coleman had been the uh, the starter, at least gotten that first crack at it, and. And and if uh, and have it be a competition, but I think as I say, when you go back to whether and this this is the same thing with um, with respect to the the when you bring in new guys, when you bring in new uh, regimes, and there's the you know we got we got to get our guy, you know, and and the guy that's on the team already may not necessarily not may not necessarily be you know your guy, and you know Sean Coleman, you could say is Hugh's guy. You know, because he was drafted under the Hugh administration. But then again, uh, you know, Dorsey made it a point to say that uh, that we didn't have real players. And Hugh was apparently saying the same thing when he was running his uh, campaign against Sashi uh, late last year. So, okay, if this is one of the guys that you're complaining about, then you know, uh, then it's then I, I don't see, and I, and I don't know that. I'm I'm not. I, I'm just saying that you know, based on the moves that have been made. It looks to me like Sean Coleman is not somebody that is uh, viewed as part of the plans here. 
because if if he were, then I would say that because he look if nothing else, he didn't really he he, he didn't give up a, a ton of sacks for my, he had, gave up quite a few penalties. He certainly was called for a lot of penalties. I'm not going to deny that, but on balance, he was plus in the run game and was not. He he certainly was not. He didn't have any Mitchell Schwartz type moments in his uh, sophomore year where he was just absolutely destroyed by uh, Cameron Wake and Elvis Doomerville. It was nothing like that. You know, he held his own, I thought. But if a guy does that and is healthy, you know, if a guy is healthy and starts, I don't think he missed a snap all year, did he? I think he's. I think he played every snap at right tackle all year long. And so, if you have a guy like that that started every snap at right tackle, and then on the first day of free agency you go out and you sign his replacement at right tackle, and then on the second night of the draft when you've had all day to think about it, you draft a guy that played four years at left tackle, it tells me that you don't really have a whole lot of confidence in the guy. Or else you would at least now maybe maybe I'm wrong and the calculus here is just that they're going to um, you know get as many good guys as they can and put them all in the hopper and let them compete and the best guy wins. I don't think it works that way. I, I don't. I think that these guys go into this with a definitive. You know, we're, we're drafting this kid and he's going to start. He's going to play next to Joel and that's how this is going to be. I would say that the way just and I could be wrong. I mean, we're going to see as this whole thing plays out. You you know, it, it, in, in the case of uh, Joshua, you asked me my opinion. I'm giving it to you. I could be wrong, but I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. You know, on on all of this. Uh, and, and you can agree or disagree. And again, if you disagree and want to give me what for easyweave at gmail.com otherwise um the the uh tackle position i think is going to be between the four players i think ultimately it's going to be between um corbett at left tackle with probably rod johnson backing him up and then hubbard at right tackle with probably coleman backing him up unless donald stevenson knocks out either uh coleman or uh, Rod Johnson, but I, I kind I'm, right now I think that that instead what will happen is that uh, Stevenson will be cut, and that Johnson, and, in other words, I think he's brought in to be a camp body and and compete with those guys for the backup uh, let, tackle spot, and basically they got to prove that you know they're they're that they can that they can hang, um, and. <clears throat> And that's fine. I mean, Stevenson is not a you know, not 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 a tremendously great player by, uh, by reputation or performance. If you you know viewed the tape and so on, um, but you know I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to you know trash the guy. He's on our team, but I'm just thinking he's probably not somebody that is. I think when this is all said and done, I don't think that he's going to be on the final 53. We'll see. But that's kind of how I see this playing out, that it'll end up being uh, Corbett. And, and it's not to say that it's you know all for political reasons. I think Austin Corbett's going to do well at left tackle. And doing well at left tackle, right, doesn't mean that he needs to be Joe Thomas, because nobody is ever going to be Joe Thomas. We were just blessed with the finest left tackle play the league has ever seen. Yes, it was 100% wasted, but we still got it, okay? And we can cherish that, and we can love that, and we can, you know, have that in our memory bank and take it with us for the remainder of our days. We got that at very MFing least, okay? We at least got that. Um, but we're not going to get that again. And, and what constitutes, you know, decent to quality to acceptable to left tackle play that we can win with... Uh, I feel I feel pretty good about Corbett being able to come in and do that right away as this as a rookie coming in and starting at left tackle, and and I think that that the reason I think that is because I've I've you know I've watched some tape on him since we drafted him. I wasn't terribly you know um, um, familiar with him. 
But ever since then, I've had a chance to you know get to find out more about him and all that. So I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm and not, look, this it's not for nothing that uh, you know good old meathead John Dorsey, you know he drafted Baker. So I got to tell you that has a and I have I had a, I got in an argument with with a guy about this. It was re- I really was like offended that I would think this way. Not offended, but just you know he, he took me to task, which I guess is you know always always fine by anybody any at any time. Um, because I was making the the connection that because he made the right choice with Mayfield, uh, that I kind of give him some trust now with evaluation of you know all players because I don't I, I, look in the first place I don't know I can look at what he did in Kansas City and I think that it's look I'm just I'm not trying to I, I'm just my opinion here I think that people read way too much into trying to kind of evaluate that that sort of thing in in other words the, looking at what he did in Kansas City and trying to extrapolate from that what he you know would do with us or or that if how he drafted in Kansas City will correspond to how he will do with us i mean people were saying no he's not going to draft this type of guy because he's going to draft this type of guy because of how he's drafted i think that people really um overthink that sort of thing and try to find uh, you know connections that aren't necessarily there um, but it's and, and I I understand why I mean and I'm, and I'm not trying to discount it totally. It's just a matter for me. I I think that, I think that these the situations are unique. Like I think that for Dorsey, uh, he had a way that he went about this draft that was, you know, not like the way that Sashi went about doing his drafts, for example. Uh, which I mean I, I can't say that I know this. I mean we're just looking at when as we were kind of um, you know very closely following all the selections that were coming in during the the 2016 and 2017 drafts and really looking at because we had really high picks and a lot of them for both of those uh, draft seasons and so we 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 really you know spent a lot of time on these guys. Um, you know, and the, what we discovered, or you know, the, the commonality that seemed to appear over time, was that the Brown, the Sashi Brown model of drafting people, was assuming that it's his, and it's not, you know, the overall uh, strategy of the uh, of, of uh, John D. Podesta, or Paul, I'm sorry, Paul D. Podesta, who is still the chief strategy officer. But uh, you know, it seemed like the guys that. That uh, that they targeted were first of all a uh, high character, and then high spark, and then high production, and then, like all three of those where where they intersected is where you had your high draft picks, and 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 if you look at that 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 can be basically considered analytics, right? That that was basically the analytics, which it's not, and I'm not I'm not trying to make that. Exa- I'm just saying that for purposes of um, you know, uh, I don't know, illustration. It just seems like uh, th- that that was kind of like the formulaic way that you went. And then as you got into later rounds, it's like, all right, you'll you, maybe the guy is not the best character, although eh, that's really too many uh, horribly character guys that uh, that he ended up picking up. But he had high production and or high spark, or and not necessarily spark, but athleticism. This isn't true of the quarterbacks necessarily, but it's just you know kind of let's like say a general way that they went about doing this. It seemed to be anyway the way that they were. Uh, going about doing this and so um whether that you know worked out or not uh i I think that that 
Sashi Brown's drafts are going to be, uh, I think in many ways they're going to be vindicated when you look at over the next couple of years. I mean, for my eye, the guy completely fortified the offensive and defensive lines, the tight end group, and the linebacking core in two years. And that he wasn't able to and this i'm not going to get in a whole big thing about defending sashi brown because as far as i'm concerned the guy's gone you know it's he's last year's news I, i've 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 you know i've shed enough tears for for sashi brown um and, and I've, i think that you know he's he's he was brilliant in what he was there doing and i think that uh, for people that that um without without being too uh, uh i don't know um disrespectful but for people who whine and moan and cry and biatch and complain about sashi brown all the damn time chuck for those people out there i i think that there's like a a, a real serious problem with this idea that he had to have the entire team built inside of two years and then it comes to, well, yeah, didn't have to have it totally built, but it didn't need to be that bad. Hello, coaching. There's no way that team that is that was on the field the last two years couldn't win more than one freaking game if Chris Palmer can win five over two years with what that talent uh, was producing in 99 and 2000. But I've gone over that before. Not trying to make that case now, but I am saying that over the next couple of years, when you look at... Um, those position groups really being solid. If 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 none of the other guys stick, that's still pretty good. But I think that you're going to end up finding some of these guys, you know, like like maybe set the valve and uh, Schobert. Well, I already mentioned the those that's linebacker and line and uh, tight end, so that's already two positions. Maybe you know Corey Coleman. I'm not giving up on him. May, I don't have nearly as much. Um, uh, uh, with Jabril Peppers, as far as um, feeling good about him, because those, those are you know two areas, wide receiver and and safety, where yeah, it was bad, and, and and we did spend you know high resources, they just didn't pan out um, for you know. So okay, okay, get it. You're gonna miss. You're gonna miss on draft picks. Dorsey is gonna miss on draft picks. I fully expect that's going to happen. At the same time, all that I can do with okay to continue the thought with Sashi, the model was yeah we're gonna miss on draft picks, but we're also gonna have so bloody many of them that even if we miss on some but hit on others, we're still gonna end up at the end of the day with more quality players added to the team. This would seem obvious, would it not? We drafted three guys in the first round last year. Two of them look to be bona fide, you know, knock it out of the park. Uh, we, we nailed those guys, even after one year. And I didn't know three-year rule notwithstanding. And by the way, it happened to be the, the first and last guy that was selected. The middle guy, yeah, he also seems to be an exception to the three-year rule, but in the other way. Okay, you know, uh, unfortunate if it works out that way. But what I'm saying is that, okay, even if it goes down that way that Jabril Peppers is a total bust, we still had two guys, first-round, excuse me, first-round talent that were, um, you know, that, that are on this team now. And, and I'm saying that that was the overall, okay, that's not the way John Dorsey rolls. What John Dorsey does is he is, he's a football guy. He goes out and gets the best talent that's available at the spots that he, and that's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm not, it, I'm not bemoaning the strategy. It's just, it's two different ways of going about building a team. But I also think that, and also he could say that it's the culmination of an overall process that really was, you know, spanned out over time where you, you had like kind of the acquisition phase. And then this was the year to cash it all in. And in their mind, cashing it all in was better to do with Dorsey because he was a better evaluator of talent. And if that calculation is correct, then more power to us. Um, I'll be happy if that is the way that it all you know works out. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm very much willing to grant Dorsey um, 
you know, a, a lot of now of, uh, of, of, I don't know, grace and some... I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on a lot of these picks now because he got the Mayfield one so right. And the Mayfield one, I mean, the reason why I, I kept I'm, I'm going to and I'm going to keep the uh, the reaction to us drafting him as the open for a, a while, maybe forever. But I'm saying the reason at that because it was such an important big deal to me. And don't worry, Joshua, I'm going to get back to the offensive line here in a little bit. But the the I, the drafting of Baker Mayfield was because Baker Mayfield to me was and and you know maybe, maybe I was over the moon with it but I'm I'm just telling you where I'm at with it and I haven't relented from from this uh, uh point of view ever since I arrived at it. it if if not the best certainly one of the top quarterbacks I've ever seen coming out of college the guy has he has everything except he's only 6 you know foot and 5 eighths or whatever he is um he he's not the tallest guy but Everything, as far as everything that I want in a quarterback, and I, I mean, I mean, again, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, way before I ever knew about Baker Mayfield, I was talking about the the ideal quarterback does a couple of things. He makes quick, smart decisions and sharp, accurate throws from the pocket. That's what I want. And in order to have that, you need to have a guy that can read defenses, understand coverages, all of that. It's cerebral is the point. Yeah, and you have to have the requisite, you know, talent to be able to back that up. That's the thing about that's why the court that's why these guys are so rare. Because you have to have a mental acuity and you also have to have a a physical you know skill set that corresponds to it, um, you know just because you're able to uh, you know to read defenses and make the right decisions, you have the, you have the hand eye coordination and the and the quickness and the and the release and all of that to be able to um, to make the throws. Now I will say that on that, in my opinion, anyway, and, and good people are free to disagree, but in my opinion, if you've got like you know really lousy mechanics but all of the stuff is working upstairs i think you still probably have it well bernie kosar you know is a great example of what i'm talking about that guy had filthy mechanics i mean it, it, there was there was probably no uglier look and i don't mean this uh you know uh, uh as far as actual physical presence bernie you're, you're, you're a swell looking fella i'm just saying that from looking at the prototypical quarterback model that you would you know that you that you, you know the kind of the drop back big tall guy standing tall in the pocket you know bernie bernie stood in the pocket, but I'm saying if you watch this guy, if you ever watch, he was—I mean—he was lanky. He had a, had this weird crouch thing that he had to do in order to uh, to even get the ball under center, and he was um, very, just very awkward. I mean, he was—he was the the most immobile quarterback of ever, and he, and just lanky and this had this bizarre sidearm delivery. Uh, but I mean, that thing, man, was it accurate? That thing was—I mean, you watch the video of this guy with this—you know—the weirdo delivery and the the. the the, uh, you know, and the sidearm and all this, and this guy. They, I remember watching a Pro Bowl video of him in like 1990 or something, and he's just one after another after another throwing this football through a tire, and nobody is even close to being able to do this. Uh, so I'm saying is that if, if for all of it for me anyway, it, it has to do mentally more than anything else. And to me, what Baker Mayfield exhibited on the field had, he mentally was just sharper and better than anybody that I have ever seen scouting the quarterback position. And so in the things that were important to me, Baker Mayfield was the best quarterback option. And then, especially considering the fact that he was, that we were, he was available to us, that we could actually get him. 
I've never wanted us to draft a player more than Baker Mayfield. And that we drafted him was just such a culmination of you know, so many years of wanting guys and us either not having the ability to get them or having the ability to get them and drafting somebody else. You know, I, I liken it to the uh, 2014 when the guy that I really, really wanted was Teddy Bridgewater. And I, I loved Bridgie. Uh, it's not even close to how I felt about Mayfield, though, in retrospect. But, I mean, I still I, – I was very – I was a huge fan of, of uh, Bridgewater. And, you know, when we didn't take him at four and then we traded the pick and yeah, and the way that whole thing went down, I mean, we, if we, we weren't going to take Bridgie. Why don't we just stay there and take uh, Khalil Mack? But whatever. So we end up uh, – because we still had the, 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 uh, the, the pick at 26 because that was the Richardson trade to uh, Indy. That was the, the fleecing. So, you know, we don't take the quarterback. And then you watch that whole thing go by, and, uh, and, and nobody has taken quarterbacks. And you know, we're sitting there, and then we trade up to 22, like we do. And I'm thinking, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to take Bridgewater. And then you hear Goodell say, Johnny Manziel. And then, you know, so many other people in Brown's land were just erupting with, uh, with happiness and euphoria. And I'm like, eh. well, because, um, I mean, look, my opinion on Manziel was he was a third rounder. I, I, and, and that had mostly to do with football talent. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really as knowledgeable about the whole. I mean, I, you, could, you, could, I, you could tell he was kind of a, you know, I mean, he, he, was, he was definitely into himself. You could tell that. But I really didn't care about that. I mean, I kind of expect for what it requires to be successful at this level, at that position, that you do got to be a little bit nutty. I'm, I'm cool with that. I can certainly allow a certain amount of, of that you know, into uh, into the batter, so to speak. But it, with with him, I just didn't think that he had the the tool. I just didn't. When I watched him, I did not see. Um, to me, it was all backyard ball all the time. And I and I not to say that he didn't make some beautiful throws and display some things. It just to me, it wasn't even close on film mentally to what I was watching uh, Mayfield do. So I mean, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to uh, support this, but you know, I'd really like to see what Brian Hoyer can do because you know we hadn't got a chance. You know, you have to wonder what would happen if he wouldn't get hurt in that Buffalo game, and so that was kind of the mindset that I took into it. Not that this time, so and, and you know, and you've had similar, you know, if, if that wasn't your moment with Bridgewater, then whoever uh, instead of drafting Whedon, you would have wanted us to draft whoever. If you instead of drafting and go down the list, I'm saying for me, I've had mine over the years, and so for us to actually take. Mayfield, and particularly with all of the uh, options that were available and all of the scuttlebutt surrounding it, that um, that we were going to go in other directions with, uh, and, and all, really all of the, uh, I don't, I don't even know if it was misdirection or or anything of the like, you know, or subterfuge or anything like that. I think that it had more to do with just people convincing themselves of, of things. It just, they they literally just heard they talked about it enough to each other that they convinced or to themselves that they just convinced themselves you know what it's like last year when uh, we were talking about Deshaun Kaiser in the preseason he had the one the first game against the Saints remember he came in he threw the two long touchdown passes and we won the game and everybody was like yeah we got a quarterback it's great we got a quarterback prospect and then he was he actually looked like a good quarterback prospect the likes of which we hadn't seen in a while and people like were watching and they're like yeah and you see him consistently make making the right decisions and I remember Bup was like whoa no what you mean consistently and he made the point he's like I think the people watch the tape of this so many times that they actually think that the guy is doing this on a consistent level and of course Kaiser was not consistent in anything last year except for you know throwing interceptions in the red zone 
But th- that's kind of the point is that I think that this draft season there was some of that going on. Again, Joshua, I'll get back to the offensive line here in a minute. This is just a little deviation. But I'm, I think that it, it, people convinced themselves that that was uh, going to be uh, the case, or are they, they convinced themselves that whatever scenario they had conjured in their mind, because there was so little actual, you know, in, in years past, I mean, all this stuff got leaked out all the time, but there was so little of that this time around until the final day, until the actual morning of the draft. Uh, up until then, nobody had any idea what was going to be going on. And and that and so I think that there's a lot of people that talk themselves into it. But the fact that we went and did um, and then like, did things like like uh, bet that they were going to eat horse crap and that sort of thing. And then we actually took the guy. We actually made the right call. So again, for me, it was such a big deal that we did that. That it does. And then uh, combine with that, that I do like a lot of the things. That and I have to. I mean, look. I said at the very beginning of this, when if we would take Mayfield number one, then then I'm good. With Dorsey could could burn the rest of the house down, and I'm good. As it happens, Dorsey did the right thing with getting Mayfield, but I don't think that he burned the house down. I think that he actually added um, a lot of of potentially core talent to this roster, and I think that we we have a substantially a significantly from a talent standpoint a much better team than what we had at the end of the 2016 season as we would expect and hope to have with the as many assets as we had not just in terms of draft picks but uh, with cap space and we we spent a lot of the cap space although you know it didn't really work out that we went out and signed a bunch of high profile free agents i mean chris hubbard was about the biggest of all of them uh, you know, Terrence Mitchell, TJ Carey, you know, EJ Gaines. These are not guys that, you know, really broke the bank. These were not like – it wasn't like a year when a team went out and signed Darrell Revis for those huge contracts that he was getting. Um, or or whoever. I mean, or the year that we signed uh, Kruger and Bryant. You know, those were two, like, pretty big signings that we made that year that were like – I mean, I think the two of them combined were like uh, – it was like $70 million over over four or five years. Um, nothing. Cra- we didn't really do anything like that on free agency day. But what we did do is the Friday before. The- and this is I, again, you know, I, I honestly, um, you know, the, the, the one thing about John Dorsey that I, as as you know, it's easy for me to say this now in retrospect because I'm fully with the guy because he got he got he got my guy. But that whole Friday night trade thing that really is such a rare thing to ever happen and the guys that he got i mean potentially a starter at free safety yes jettisoned a young uh, quarterback prospect that i would have liked to have kept around but whatever uh we, we ended up getting a guy that could potentially be a starter solution at the area of our biggest weakness last year outside of the wide receiver and quarterback position so that's huge getting that guy if it all works out and then on top of that it mentioned the wide receiver position a bona fide legit excellent wide receiver at least from the standpoint of a guy that can catch the damn ball in Jarvis Landry that we then turned around and signed to a a large extension so not only did we get the guy but we've already before the the draft even happened we had the guy uh, extended he's gonna be a brown for a long time and that's great I mean I'm thrilled that Mayfield has got a guy that he's gonna be able to throw to that is sure-handed as anybody that's in the league right now it's just fantastic love the move love the move uh, to, to get that guy. But it wasn't through a free agency move. It was for, it was via a trade. And then, of course, Tyrod Taylor, who is, and I'm going to double and triple and quadruple down uh, on this, but uh, uh, quint, quint, quintuple, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm going to continue 
to dig in here that Mayfield is going to be the starter uh, game one, even though Tyrod Taylor is a quality addition to the team, notwithstanding right the uh, the the actual dollar amount. Could you even imagine how much in, in terms of dollars it actually cost us for the Tyrod Taylor trade? I say tongue in cheek because. If, if you know, it, that's, that's an inside joke. If, if you get where I'm saying, then then you get it. If you get it, if not, I'm not even going to bother explaining it. Point is, I'm happy with the Tyrod Taylor um, acquisition from the standpoint of he is a guy that, at very least, is in the quarterback room that has a lot of NFL experience. That's wonderful, and he has you know played reasonably well uh, in the NFL, at least compared to anybody that we've had around here in a long time. Incredibly low bar, I know. But hey, at least, and, and it cost us uh, a third rounder and $15 million for one year, plus, you know, the opportunity costs of what that, you know, and, and all of that. But I'm glad that he's on the roster. Him, and I'm, I not really have a whole lot about uh, Drew Stanton to, be, to get all worked up about, but he is, again, another guy that has been in the league for a while and has played in and won a lot of games. Uh, and then now you add into it, it again, to my mind, the, the best uh, quarterback prospect that I have seen, you know, m- maybe ever, you know, into that room. And, hey, we have seriously, seriously bolstered uh, that QB room, and, and I'm thrilled about that. But those three trades, what I'm saying is on that on that trade Friday, the eve of free agency, uh, it was, that was really where we spent a lot of our actual money in this in this whole process, where the actual cap space. And right now, I checked it the other day, but we're still sitting at about $67 million. So not too bad. I mean, all things considered, and not only that, but other than now the uh, the uh, the Landry deal because it's been an extension. But everybody that we signed, we were really in a position to be done with the deals as early as next year in most cases. So even though Dorsey had kind of a an issue with um with. Uh, cap management and salary allocation while in Kansas City, and it was one of the big reasons for his ouster there. That and uh, I, I, I like to think that it had something to do with that. I, I like to believe that he just told, he gave everybody the finger and said, I'm, I'm betting, I'm, I'm, go, I'm giving up the farm for Pat Mahomes because he's, he's going to be great. Because I agree with him, he is going to be great. And you know what else? The fact that, the, that two years in a row, uh, Dorsey got my guy because I, mean, I was I was Mahomey by just an eyelash over eh, maybe a little bit more than an eyelash maybe a thick hair over uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky, but I like Trubs a lot and there's the mentor connection and all that. But I just I, I thought that he was a quality quarterback prospect and I think that he's going to be good. But Mahomes that was the guy that I was really you know and so Dorsey in the last two years has gotten both of the guys that I wanted bad, and so uh, that that to me that says a lot about and then. You look at Denzel Ward, uh, the selection at four, and you've got a guy that is going to handle uh, another one of our biggest challenges last year, the cornerback spot. Well, I don't know if the cornerback spot was one of our biggest challenges, but it became one of the biggest challenges when uh, McCourty you know, got hurt slash got apathetic or beaten down by all of our losing that he, he underperformed at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, really threw a lot of, of bodies at that position via free agency, but Ward is a guy that, you know, he should he, he was he was the best cornerback in the draft. And and, and again, um there's this concept of uh, you know a, a kind of an attitude with and I think that that's that's kind of what I was getting at earlier with respect to how people look at they look at stat sheets, they look at, you know, um 
you know, the previous drafts, and they look at statistics, and they and they they try to come up with a formula that tells them, well, if he takes this guy in this year, then he's likely to take this guy now that he's uh, this type of guy now that he's with us. And I think that the type of guy aspect of this is the thing that we can't really know because I think I don't know this, but I think that with Dorsey, a lot of the um, the, the the what what causes him to pull the trigger on a guy has to do with an intangible element in the player that we can't know about that we that we as I mean we can we can get some idea based on I mean like May, Mayfield for example was a guy that you were able to glean some idea about his personality and character because he played at a high profile position and in me in my case I spent a lot of time up studying him and the other quarterbacks so you can get an idea based on that but for a lot of other these a lot of these other guys you you can't or don't have time or the interest to do all of that um so i i think that um a, a lot of this has to do with maybe attitude um a, along with talent i mean certainly all of the guys I, in my look from my eye looking at every single selection that he made in this draft every single one of those guys is highly talented i, I don't think there's a single i don't think there's a doubt about any one of them they are all um if if not good football players at their uh, respective positions right now they are at least all physical um athletes I'll tell you what, we didn't really deviate too far from the whole Sparky thing, when especially when it got to the later rounds. But, you know, Gennard Avery, that guy, is looking like an absolute steal in the fifth round, I realize. Two weeks out from the draft, so you can't get too, uh, you know, up about a lot of this stuff right now. Still, you know, that guy has, he looks like he has an attitude. He looks like he has a certain... Um, intangible about him as well that that Dorsey looks for in players and again I don't know that but I think that 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 is a part of uh, how and why he makes these decisions and so when you know kind of bringing all of this back to Austin Corbett who is a player that they had again all day long to look at and make a decision and determination about who they wanted to take. They had everybody, they had all but 32 of the uh, prospects in the draft to select from, and they took Austin Corbett. And I think it has to do, not just with his, I would consider to be from watching the tape and you know just looking at the guy, obvious physical talent and uh, and positional talent, if, if they are in fact going to play him at, um, at uh, uh, left tackle, as I presume they will. Uh, but I think that there's probably an attitude with this guy that that Dorsey likes, and that there's a, that, that there's probably a common thread amongst all of these guys. Um, you know, the, I, 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 in looking at the way that, and, and that probably is what it really means to be a football guy, right? I mean, that probably is what it means to because what is the difference between analytics and uh, and, and if you're going to look at it this way? I mean, because I'm because I know that Dorsey uses analytics. I'm not to say that it's not an, that's one of the problems you have with kind of looking at these two styles and trying to contrast them in absolute terms because there's so much meshing of all of this that goes along. But it, from the standpoint of a guy, if, if it really is the case that Sashi is kind of putting everybody up on the board and say, okay, this guy checks this box, this box, this box, therefore the formula says we take him. And it may be that in Dorsey's case, yeah, there's probably still quite a bit of that. But I think that at the at the end of the process, what really causes him to say yes or no is, you know, how a guy, um, you know, how, how a guy is, you know, attitudinally going to be, um, you know, impacting the franchise. And you, when you look at these guys, Landry, Tyrod, you know, Bup nailed this. They're, they're gamers. Denzel Ward, they're gamers. These are guys that, you know, they're, they're, they may not, there may be something wrong with them, but you never have to worry about them going all out on the field. 
And so that's that's kind of the way. So when you take all that into consideration, again, that this is why I think Corbett is going to be the starter at tackle, and why I think a lot of these positions have been stacked. These position groups have been stacked the way that they have. Maybe because when you look at it from a Madden score, you you see that you know why would we get a guy that's a you know that's a seventy one when uh, there's a guy that's on the roster that's already a seventy seven. Well, maybe it, the way that that's just to use that as an arbitrary rating scale because that's kind of the point. Maybe the way that Dorsey rates these guys is not the same way that other you know scouts and, and people rate these guys um so there as i'm saying there's a certain amount of trust there now that i have uh for him anyway and so if i'm going to i'm, I'm gonna and look i'm not that doesn't that's not to say that he's going to get every draft pick right or even every high draft pick right um but i know he got mayfield right and i feel pretty good about denzel ward but you know we're, time is going to tell about uh, about all of this and I'm just saying I'm, uh, I'm, I'm willing at this point because I've seen – it's one thing when he comes over, and not to accuse anybody of this, but it's one thing when he comes over if you didn't, if you didn't like Sashi Brown, for example, or if you just you know, want to be you know, forever optimistic and thinking that whatever moves that we are making are going to be the best ones, right, that it was the right move. So if he came over here and you were like, yeah, man, this guy is great. And there were people that were like this. There were people that as soon as we signed on, oh, yeah, this is great. This guy is going to – you know, he's, he's – you know, I – I clearly had reservations about this, uh, you know, and, and especially when he comes in talking the way that he did, it just, he's okay, this guy's an idiot, but you know, I got to tell you something. Um, he has performed, I think very well this off season and I'm, uh, he, he's won me over. He's absolutely won me over. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that he's the GM. And as I've said before, even if firing Sashi Brown was the dumbest mistake that uh, Jimmy Haslam could ever make, that doesn't mean that hiring John Dorsey to replace him couldn't have been the absolute best possible uh, follow-up move. So, hey, maybe things broke our way this time. It certainly uh, looks like it on paper. Uh, and on paper, on certainly on uh, electronic paper, as we look at uh, the going back again to the offensive line depth, which was the, the subject of, uh, of Joshua's inquiry, the... Uh, I think that overall, the offensive line group is is not just strong, but deep. I've talked about the tackles and how and why I think it's going to break that way. Um, but you mentioned Spencer Drango in, uh, in the question, and he should be in the conversation, given that he performed, I think, pretty well. I think quite admirably, uh, coming in for Joe Thomas, having never been injured ever, and he comes out of the game, and now Drango has got to come in. And, and yeah, initially, he came in, and he struggled mightily in that first game against the Titans. In fact, you know, it, it, him struggling as badly as he did was a pretty big reason why we ended up losing a game that we really could have won. I mean, we went into overtime against those guys. And, you know, Kessler actually was looking pretty good until... Uh, you know, until uh, Joe goes down and Drango can't, you know, hold his water. And then, you know, uh, and, and this is the, in the first game. And then from that point on, I think Kessler was wrecked uh, from the end of the year. But I'm, it would not even point uh, uh, worth uh, pointing that out at this point. He's moved on to uh, sunnier pastures. And so, you know, I don't really care about him. But what I'm saying is that after that occurred, after that first game where he really struggled, you know, Drango really settled in. And I thought had a... a, a pretty decent season even if it, i don't say he played you know good necessarily but he was he certainly was was not as bad as other guys that we've seen there playing left tackle you know the john st Clair, um o'neill cousins you know uh nightmares from the past it, it, it's, it's certainly not um to that level as uh, i think that i'm watching michael brantley hitting a grand slam here yes <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> that was that's pretty awesome tribe uh 
is going to go over 500 tonight. So, uh, I'm sorry to lose my train of thought, but that was just awesome watching that happen. Worked him, worked him deep into the count, too. Anyway, I think that Drango is probably going to end up going back to his natural position of, uh, of guard. I think that he was really more of a uh, last um, resort last year. I don't think that they were – I don't think that they ever intended to have to play – uh, anybody behind Joe Thomas because they never had to. So, he, but he came in and he was the first option. And, and again, he, he definitely did better than uh, than than any number of options that that could have been in there in his place. But I think that ultimately, while he's established himself as a, if nothing, uh, you know, uh, if nothing else, a viable backup player at that position, I think that his more natural position is at guard, and I think that that's where he'll end up uh, being probably the first option at either. Uh, left or right guard, you know. If uh, if either one of those guys go down, then I think that Drango is probably probably your your first guy in. And so, and I, you know, I, I don't know how many. I mean, we we kept a fairly you know inordinate number of offensive linemen last year. I can't imagine that we're going to keep two backup guards and two backup tackles. I do think that we're going to keep two backup tackles. I think that because of the the relative uh, insecurity and and also the importance of the position. Uh, and the youth thereof. I think that it, it probably would behoove us that we would keep four tackles. But as far as guards, I think it probably is going to end up winding up being uh, Betonio and Zeitler and Drango. And I think it also, and I, and I think it also probably shapes up that we will end up having an inordinate amount of offensive linemen because we probably will end up keeping nine. Treader is the center, and I think that Austin Reeder ultimately will make the team and back him up at the center position unless they feel comfortable with Drango uh, playing there as well. Uh, but I just... I think it's too much of a risk, and I mean, time will tell. Uh, I'm, I'm just going based on uh, how it's worked out in the past and kind of how I see this roster uh, shaping up. If not, then it could be that there's um, you know only three tackles, and it could be that there's you know three tackles and three guards and one center. That's not you know terribly unusual to have you know only seven or eight uh, offensive linemen. Eight seems like the more plausible number, but I still think that we'll end up keeping nine. And and, and Austin Reeder backing up J.C. Treader is fine. That's a perfect. I mean, he had the one game for us where he performed, you know, fairly well against the Redskins like two year, what two years ago. So you know, that's uh, that's that to me, that's a better offensive line, you know, uh, depth and and entire situation overall, even with the departure of Joe Thomas, than we've had in, in quite a while. Uh, and I know that it's it's impossible to say that you know that, we, that the line got better by losing Joe Thomas, but I think that you know the offensive line is the one area where it really is only as good as its weakest part. You know, if you have four out of five that are great, but the fifth one is a sieve, guess what? You got problems. Uh, either you're going to have a quarterback that is constantly harried, or a run game that is. Uh, out of sync, or you're going to have to designate other resources, fullback, tight end, whatever, in order to uh, to help out at that at that weakness, and that takes away your ability to attack defenses in other ways. So, it's you know, um, it, it's it's important, therefore, that you know, it, it, not everybody has to be great, but if all of them can hold their own, then we can do this. And I think that we're in a spot where I feel really good about four of the five. I know a lot of people are down on on uh, at least the right side of the interior with with the two guys that we had last year with Treader and Zeitler. I don't understand why. I thought those guys did all right. I, I mean, Zeitler may have underperformed a little bit, but I didn't. I, he wasn't anywhere. He, he, I think he was fine. And again, I I don't see a problem 
with anybody from left guard to right tackle. Uh, the left tackle spot, again, I think that's going to be Corbett's to lose, and and I think that he's not going to lose it. I think he's going to do all right there, and I think we're going to have a, a pretty solid offensive line. You know, the offensive line is going to be a lot better if we've got a guy that can make quick, smart decisions from the pocket and sharp, accurate throws. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, all, it, it really is going to come down, and that's, again, why I think that uh, Mayfield's going to end up being the starter. I mean, if we're going to talk um, from a comparative standpoint between Mayfield and uh, Taylor, one th- one of the things about Taylor is that he gives up sacks because he and, and doesn't give up a lot of turnovers because he's usually not willing to challenge defenses and he holds the ball pretty long. And uh, plus, he's a, more of a, of a of a runner as a quarterback. And running quarterbacks just do tend to get uh, sacked more often than um, than drop back passers. And that's by the way, that's true. If, if you're hearing that, you're like, what are you talking about, easy? I mean, the more mobile guy would get sacked less. No, 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 no. Uh, if you are a guy that is has a quick release versus a guy that is more prone to when, uh, you know, the first and second read are gone, then you tend to start, you know, putting your, you know, looking, uh, you know, down and, and thinking about running as opposed to keeping your eyes upfield and, and constantly looking for that uh, next avenue in the passing game. And between those two styles of quarterback play, the guy that runs is the guy that gets sacked more. It's just it's just the way that it always works out, and it would stand to reason. Because if you're a quarterback, you're constantly trying to um, you're not really running away and giving the you know the uh, um, the defender an opportunity to beat you in an athletic way. Because most quarterbacks are not equipped to uh, outrun defenders. They're they're quarterbacks. They're you know they're. So I mean, and there's there's um, obviously there's exceptions to this, and there are guys that, but, but I mean the guys that are that are really like Aaron Rodgers is a really good scrambler. But the reason Aaron Rodgers is a really good scrambler is because he's a really good quarterback that has some speed. But it's because people are trying to defend against what he can do in the air that he's able to take off and get huge chunks on the ground. But honestly, I'm sure there's defenses that are willing to give that up uh, because he's just so good with um, you know with the aerial assault. So just just to use him as an example. So with the fact that I think that, um, well, it, the opinion that I have that Baker Mayfield is going to be the starter, and thus I think that he's not going to have that same issue because, again, watch the tape. The guy is he's, he's quick, 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 quick. Getting through those progressions. He's going to be quick. He's going to be good. He's going to be so good. I'm so looking forward to this. And I, but I think it's going to make the offensive line look better, as will the um, addition of two running backs, Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde. Again, got to give Dorsey a lot of credit here. The the backfield you know, situation that we have now is compared to what we have. And we still have Duke, and we still have Days, but it's just so much better than it was entering into. I mean, he nailed it. Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb, home run. Home run. A grand slam by Michael Brantley, as a matter of fact. It's a such – and so with those guys, I think they also are going to make – uh, the line looked better, and so you combine all that. I, I and, and I, all in all, I feel good about the offensive line. And, and as far as you know, some of the other uh, you know guys that could potentially make the team and surprise people, uh, I think we still have Marcus Martin. Um, but I, I, I'm going to talk about that and like some of the guys that we've picked up through the uh, the undrafted. You know, later on, and, and as we get kind of more into the the off season doldrums. Right now, I'm really more concentrated on who I think is actually going to make the team. And I got look, I, I'm not I'm not trying to brag, but I do typically have a pretty good sense of these things um, when it, as far as predicting the the roster not too long after we've gotten through the draft process and free agency. I've written about it in the past, and I've pretty 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 decent um accuracy rating when it comes to that sort of thing 
not saying that you should trust or believe anything that I have to say. I'm just saying that for my own uh, uh, purposes and recognizance, you know, as I look at it from from my own, you know, trying to understand the world uh, perspective, I feel pretty good about my ability to size these things up. And I just think that that's how it's going to end up being that just generally speaking, nine offensive linemen is pretty high, but that's probably what we're going to end up carrying. And thus, those are the guys that I see uh, making it. And I don't really see. Uh, much like for example i don't think that there's really any possibility that we carry four guards and and three tackles uh i could see us maybe carrying four guards and no center but i think that writer that reader writer reader i've just always assumed it's reader that um that he's probably you know a a plenty fine option where he's at uh, as the backup right now so yeah, that's where I'm at right now, Joshua, on the offensive line. Feeling pretty good about it. Feeling pretty pretty bullish about it. And uh, so, you know, I, I, and actually I feel good about the offensive line and the defensive line. But um, we'll talk about the other position groups uh, later on. I, I uh, wanted to spend today and this one talking about the offensive line and my wild, you know, uh, deviation into the whole uh, process of, of Dorsey's draft management, as I think it might be, uh, had to be included up in there. But uh, I, again, I, I wanted to um, uh, add to the the program what uh, Joshua had asked for, and that is a, a word of the day. And I don't know if it's, you know, he, the way that he used the example here, it was something that I had said previously throughout the show. Um, I don't know that I need to necessarily do that. Um, I think I'll just pick a word. And so the word that I have for today is alacrity. Alacrity is a really cool word. Alacrity means brisk and cheerful readiness. And that a cool word. You can apply it in, in, in uh, uh, many ways, and it's, uh, it's very good. And I... Have um, I, I am filled with alacrity as I describe what I alluded to earlier on, and I don't know. Maybe I'll get into the full thing here. Maybe I'll. Um, I think I probably need to rewrite it again uh, in in digital ink form. But uh, talking about the the concept of a a league, a, an off season league, a spring league. Because I think that, um, excuse me as I adjust the microphone here, I know you people don't care, but it always bothers me whenever I move the mic, and because uh, it has this, you know, it's got this, this weird, you know, stuff that you're hearing. I, I just, I, I've never liked that, so I apologize for having done that, but I had to move the thing. Um, so, the, uh, the idea of a, a spring league is usually one that, it, that springs up, no pun intended, right around now, and it it's uh you know it takes various forms and you have a variety of and and there's been you know a variety of uh of attempts at this for example the world league of american football i remember this is this is near and dear to my heart actually because i actually i think i've told this story before but but the very first football game that i ever watched was uh, super bowl 25 that was in uh, tampa and it was between the buffalo bills and the new york football giants and uh, whitney houston sang the the great greatest um national anthem of all time and that was the first like i I was i was i'm not to say it's not the first time that i ever you know seen football it's just that the first time that i consciously you know sat down to watch a game to really understand what was going on and enjoy it as a spectator was that game uh in tampa and prior to that you know it was really just kind of you know uh, peripheral to me and i didn't really under that was the thing i was i was 
first of all, I had a huge interest in professional wrestling, so that really absorbed a lot of my time and interest as it as it was. And that was kind of the culture down here. I've talked about that in the past. Uh, just pro wrestling is is uh, it's it's like royalty down here. But at any rate, um, after that game, and as I you know I was you know getting older, I, I um, kind of started losing interest in wrestling and started gaining some interest in football. But it was the Super Bowl that I had just watched, and there wasn't to be football anytime soon. But there was this thing that had that had been around for a couple of years called the World League, and the World League, and it came back around uh, later on as NFL Europe. But the World League was um, it was a collection. I want it was like eight or twelve teams. And they were from all over. And there was, uh, I remember it was the New York, New Jersey Knights. And uh, over here they had the Orlando Thunder. And then you've had, you had the, the the Frankfurt Galaxy. I'm, I'm, this is all from memory here. I'm not looking any of this up. So if, I'm, if, I, if I get it wrong, then, you know, it's because I meant to deceive you. But you had the London Monarchs. You had uh, the Barcelona Dragons and uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the Rhine Fire. Uh, I'm just. I, I don't know if I can get all of these, but they, but anyway, this was. They were all of these. What they were is they were a bunch of castoffs, and they were a bunch of guys trying to make NFL teams. And not unlike NFL Europe was, it was it was an attempt. It was one of the early attempts at having like a like a like a feeder league type thing. And so anyway, what 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 I didn't realize that I was that I was watching a far diluted product from um, you know the quality of the NFL. Um, I just was learning about football. I just I had I had seen a game that really just because that game Super Bowl twenty five. If if you don't remember, and, and if you're a um, if you're a millennial, you may have no no sense of this. Uh, but Super Bowl twenty five was the first game between the Buff. Or I, I'm sorry, it was the first in a four year run where the Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl and lost every year. And but this game, this was the first one, and they had just destroyed the uh, the Raiders in uh, the play, in the uh, championship in the AFC championship, and they were they were uh, and not only that, but the Giants had lost their starting quarterback Phil Sims and Jeff Hostetler, the backup, had to start the game. They lost Sims in the NFC Championship game, and so the uh, they had to go into. The wait a minute, no, they did not. I'm, I'm I'm getting that wrong. Montana was injured in the NFC Championship game against the Giants. Uh, the the a couple of years, uh, I think maybe the year before that. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm getting that wrong. Sims was injured in Dallas earlier in the year. Hostetler had been the the quarterback for a while. Anyway, he was still the backup, and so the Bills were were seen kind of as uh, heavy favorites going into that. Well, at least at least that was my conception of it at the time. Everybody everybody in my you know orbit that had been talking about it, my entire knowledge that Buffalo was going to run away with this thing, but. They uh, they operated the K gun, and the K gun was the uh, the no huddle uh, offense with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, and they were able to uh, you know to uh, run really fast and catch defenses off guard and not set, and they were able to r- rack up a whole bunch of points doing it this way. Except whenever they got into the Super Bowl, and what the Giants did is the Giants said, "All right, you want to um, go really, really fast? Well, what we're going to do is we are going to hoard the ball. We are just going to um, hang on to the ball." And they had the jumbo formation. They just ran the hell out of the ball like every play, um, not every play, but you know what I'm saying. They 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 really, really did the ground and pound caveman ball. It had uh, they had the jumbo formation? They had like basically eight offensive linemen uh, at the line of. I mean, they they were they went all the way, and they ended up. Um, and Jeff Hostetler made just enough plays where they ended up chewing up like 45 minutes of. I mean, seriously, they they held the ball the entire game. And this this um, and and Buffalo was still able to um, to get their digs in. But the strategy 
ended up having them with the lead late in the game. And Buffalo is driving down um, in, in a position to win the game with time expiring. By the way, if you are a Bills fan and you somehow have wandered in here, I'm really, really sorry for, for this. Um, I am because you guys were you're like my, I, I kind of, you were like my second team for all those years. The Browns would be bad in the regular season and then when the playoffs started, I would jump with you guys because you were still playing. Um, and plus, you know, you usually beat up on the Steelers and so that was all, it was all good, but um, I, I'm uh, as I'm as I'm recanting this, I realize it can be painful. I'm just saying, on that final drive, the the Bills drove down and they put themselves in position to get a winning field good off the foot of Scott Norwood, and it was from 46 yards out, and it was a 20 to 19 score at the time, and the kick went wide right, and the Giants uh, win the game, and uh, it was uh, by the way that game was the last game as defensive coordinator by one Bill Belichick. He was Bill Parcells' defensive coordinator. And not only that, but uh, Ron Earhart was um, the uh, the offensive coordinator, and he ended up going to Pittsburgh and, along with Bill Cower and kind of uh, spearheaded their uh, resurgence in the, in the early 90s. That would, would happen um, about a few years later. But uh, at any rate, that was the first game that I ever saw that I ever like watched all the way through, and it was really exciting and it was surprising, and because it, it didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go based on what everybody was telling me. Plus, I didn't really know anything about the game, but so it was just it was exciting. The whole thing was so. As I watched the World League that summer, it was all about um, you know learning about. Uh, the game of football and and I did and I and I didn't really so much like I don't know that I could tell you anybody that played on any of those teams I can tell you that the London Monarchs won the whole league they beat the hell out of the Barcelona Dragons uh, in the World Bowl that was played at Wembley Stadium so they they predetermined a game you know a um a home field, you know, stadium where the championship game would be played, and it just so happened that the 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 uh, the uh, London Monarchs ended up uh, playing their home their in their home stadium for the championship game, and they just wrecked. I think it was like twenty eight or twenty one or twenty eight to nothing. And they just beat the hell out of them. But that was a spring league, and it was entertaining. And in that following year, that following school year was when we had uh my family had moved back up to ohio and that was when i uh i I discovered hey there was uh there was this thing called the cleveland browns i mean my dad was a browns fan so i knew that they existed but it you know it was it was a you know i saw bernie kosar throw that long touchdown pass to michael jackson against the patriots and that was it from that point forward i was a browns fan uh and it was it was that same that same year so it was a spring league that really kind of taught me you know kind of the, the the basics about the game of football and there really does not exist one and hasn't really existed one in any meaningful form for for a lot of years and so i've talked about in the past and i'm going to get into a little bit now uh the idea that i've had about how the nfl could you know basically they could they could fend off if they're concerned about this xfl thing then they could fend that off and also provide to their fans something that they would they could you know want and also you know provide a little bit of revenue for themselves by having their own spring league and this is how it would happen okay after like right now we've we've drafted the players that we're that we're uh that we're going to draft and we've got the um all of the undrafted rookie free agents and all of the guys, all of the camp bodies, I believe all of the rosters right now are at 90, which is the limit that you can have. You can't go past 90. And then, um, unlike in years past, there's the one cut down day, which is which actually works pretty well for this whole thing. 
the one cut down day is right bef- right after the I believe it's right after the fourth preseason game. And so right now and shortly after the draft, you know, this happens with with every team. They they go through the draft and they draft the players that they draft and then they, they immediately go out and you see the rash of free agent signings and we had the same thing this year, had a bunch of we signed a bunch of guys and got got us up to 90. And then every once in a while you'll see one of those guys get cut um, and you know, like last year we did that and we brought in Jason McCordy late after the whole process. And and that happens. You'll usually see uh, there's plenty of guys that are out there that end up catching on with teams because what happens is is that players are you know they're 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 definitely they're better than you know street guys but they're kind of waiting to see what teams do in the draft and through free agency and everything for them to determine you know their value at that point and there's just way it's just ways that various guys play the market and way the teams play the market it's a it's a give and take on both but the the idea here is that once you get to that 90, and I'm talking in, in the first place, I think that what would be required here would be that we need to move the draft up in the calendar a little bit. Like, we have it the last week of um, of April. Why don't we make it the second week of April? I don't think there's anybody that would, uh, w- would protest doing that from a fan perspective. Everybody would love it if we would, uh, if we would do this thing and if we would get this thing going earlier than, uh, than we have been and that we do. So that's the first thing. And then the draft happens. You know, the draft is over on a Saturday. And then on whatever day it is that you are going to play these games, uh, that, you know, if it's Tuesday, which actually that was the idea that I had because football is never, ever played on a Tuesday. So the spring, you know, the spring league could be played on it, but whatever. I mean, you still probably going to have to have it on like Fridays and Saturdays because that's when people are able to watch. Fine. Whenever it is that you do that, you have that be a full week after the draft. And, you know, but you have it in pretty close proximity after the draft. Instead of having, um, you know, a rookie minicamp, or, you know, you probably still have those things, but I'm saying that all those guys that are on the roster that aren't going to make the team, essentially you've got 53 guys that are going to make the team, and actually of that only 46 are going to dress on game day. But you got 53 guys that are going to make the team, and you got 37 other guys that aren't going to make the team. And what I'm suggesting is that from 37 guys, you've got a football team. And I think that the what can happen is you structure you know your uh, you know your roster in such a way that you are able to field a team, and also there's a couple of um, of sweeteners in all of this. Uh, for it, it, like, you are not going to put players that are established veterans, and a lot of this would be you know written in clauses and contracts and so on. Um, you're not going to find those guys on these teams. Those guys are established. Those guys are going to uh, they're 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 going to be enjoying their off season. They're going to go out on the the, the jet ski and and the, the party house, do whatever they're going to do, and they're going to be they're not part of all of this. The established vets and even probably the higher round rookies. So I would say probably everything. Um, well, I don't know third round, fourth round, or higher. Those guys, generally speaking. Unless a sequence of you know agreed upon uh, contingencies are met, uh, those guys and one of them could very well be that quarterbacks are generally, especially rookie quarterbacks, are automatically on 
this team. And the reason for that being that uh, I, I'm kind of this this kind of goes back to a conversation we've had in the past that that quarterbacks and and this also may not be as big a deal as it's been in years past. So maybe it's time to modify this. Uh, but they're not getting the same sort of reps in pro style systems. They're not really learning how to read defenses in college in the way that they need to in the NFL. But then one of the things that the NFL is doing is they're modifying their approach to be more like the college game. Uh, but I'm saying that there, you could have um, dispensations in there for key position groups or guys that want to uh, have a chance to be in this league because there's value in this for everybody that's involved. The players that are not going to make the roster, well, I, I, better yet, the guys that you would think are in the order of priority, and you pretty much know who those guys are, right? I mean, you have an idea. If, if I have an idea right now who the final 53 is going to be, I'm pretty sure, I knowing that, that competition is going to change things, and in fact, that's what all of this is about, um, that you look at it from the standpoint of if you are a player that is you know going to be on the bubble, then wouldn't you like to have the opportunity to showcase your talents you know as, as much as possible? So the league begins you know a week or two after the draft happens, and the or or you know within a couple of days after the draft happens, the coaches submit their rosters. Now um, the coaches for this because obviously you're not going to want to have the um the head coach have the you know the head coach has to have his off season too and the head coach has to have has to have his routine but maybe it could be that like maybe the special teams coach is the head coach is the default head coach for every team or maybe there's somebody else within the you know I, I'm, I'm there there's the idea here is that you wouldn't yeah you're gonna have to add some personnel you're gonna have to add some expense but what you're really doing is you're making it as minimal as possible while also keeping it within the construct of the the team um growth because all of this is meant to uh ultimately really what it's meant to do it's provide some entertainment and some revenue to the league but it also is going to make the league better because what you're doing is you are really shoring up the bottom end of the roster spots and possibly improving the passing game because you're going to have quarterbacks that are younger have more actual reps and actual game type situations and, and so maybe maybe it's not the special teams coordinator. Maybe it's the offensive line coach. I don't care. There's a process by which you determine guys that are – because, look, it, it, it's if you are a coordinator, wouldn't you like to have the opportunity to showcase what you can do as a head coach actually coaching a team? These could be opportunities for these guys, and they can name their own uh, coaching staffs based on either guys that are on the team or guys that are in the league that or, – or want to get in the league. You know, there's all sorts of guys out there that will work for literally – nothing but you give them a, a, a stipend and they'll do the job and maybe those guys get an opportunity to catch on with some teams i'm saying there's opportunities that can open up in all sorts of ways okay so then you get to the actual players and yeah with 37 players you're not going to have the same sorts of depth at each position but you know that's also kind of part of this if you're a player that ends up getting injured and you weren't probably going to make the team anyway okay you go to injured reserve and another player takes your spot within the course of a given game you know, chances are uh, you're not going to, you know, lose so many players that you just don't have a player to fill a roster spot. And if you do, okay, coach, be creative here. <laughs> you know, how are you going to deal with this? Uh, you know, all of that. And that could be, a, you know, a, a an attractive part of the contest. But the point is, is that these guys are basically um, going to be playing the final 37 guys are going to be playing from the time that the draft ends 
all the way up until the first preseason game starts. Like, basically all the way up until the Hall of Fame game. In fact, it may be that the uh, Hall of Fame game is no longer a game between uh, the, you know, just two random teams that end up having a, a fifth preseason game for no reason. It could be that they change the Hall of Fame game to where that's where the championship of this league plays. Wouldn't that be more interesting? Wouldn't that be a more compelling Hall of Fame game uh, to have? I mean, because these are guys that many of them are... are um, th- look, the Hall of Fame game, the starters don't play usually anyway. If they do, they play very, very little. It's, it's typically... It's, it's usually comprised of the same guys that I'm talking about. So instead... And so... It, look, there's a, there's a couple ways that you could do this. You could either... They could either all be... Uh, you know, like uh, like a lighter version of the Browns and a lighter version of the Chiefs and a lighter version of the Seahawks and whoever. I think it would actually be more fun and make more sense if you had like kind of uh, you know like like minor league versions of like. In other words, you have an entirely different team, even though it is you know the Cleveland team. Like I, I've always used this uh, just alliterative. It could be like the Cleveland Cobras or something. Uh, and, and it could be, but it is, it's the Browns roster, but it's not the Browns, right? It's the, or maybe it is the Browns. That part of it, look at that part of it, I'm not uh, really all that heavily invested in. I think that there's, I think that there's good and bad on, on, well, I think there's, I, I think that there's different ways of looking at it from both sides of the coin. I think that you have some fabulous marketing opportunities if you've got, you know, 32 new um, franchise logos and there, there's, just a number of ways that you could do that that could make it fun, right? Because it's an ex- it's it's an exhibition league, basically. It's not meant to be taken as seriously as the real deal. Because you know, one of the things about this off season is that it does build anticipation for when the real guys are going to be out there playing. And this is only going to mitigate that to some extent. But you don't want, like, in other words, you don't want the 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 Hall of Fame game being the championship game for this league seems to be the perfect way for that to end. As opposed to having like its its own separate championship game, that it just to me that that just seems like a it's it's competing too much with the actual product on a, when it, when it's in other words, why does anybody else care uh, if it's if you know if if they're going to get. I'm just saying from a, from a marketing, um, you know, philo- philosophic standpoint. For me, I'm gonna like watching these guys. That's why I want. That's why. That's ultimately why I want this to happen. I'm, I'm selfish here. I have I have my selfish uh, reasons for wanting to to do this. Uh, but the the main selfish reason is because I want the the league to get better, and I also you know I'd like to get a chance to watch these guys. I mean, if you got guys that are going out there that are performing at top notch levels, uh, you know they're for the entire spring into the summer and then into you know the preseason because that's the other thing okay the preseason game now the preseason now begins in earnest but now there's not really that much of a need necessarily to see these guys because you've been watching them for a while you know you can actually spend a little bit of, of more time with the starters in other words when the when the actual preseason begins the uh, the the starters coming in and the the guys that not just the starters but the fifty three the top fifty three are actually just going to start playing and that's really going to be the big difference. But a lot of those guys are are going to um um the, the, I'm saying the guys that were part of the thirty seven they're still going to get a lot of playing time and maybe they're going to get more of a look because they've peaked interest because of their performance earlier on in the spring and the summer. And at the end of this, you know, a lot of those guys are still going to end up getting cut. And a lot of them are, I think there's going to be a few of them that will end up breaking through that will showcase their talents that are going to convince some teams. And also, um, that's also going to make the entire waiver situation much more interesting. 
in, in my opinion, if you've had and if those guys do end up getting cut and don't end up getting, um, you know, making it to, uh, you know, on an NFL uh, squad. Well, then, you know what? They spent that entire spring and summer playing football and and, and, they're, and, and, and they got paid for it. And you know what? That's it was well worth it. I'm sure that any one of them that would be involved in something like this would have been, you know, pretty happy to have that opportunity. And certainly the guys, I, I, you know, if you are one of the players, right, that weren't invited to the combine, um, but might have been on a draft board or, or might have been somebody that was waiting for a phone call or just barely didn't get on somebody's um, squad as an undrafted rookie free agent, wouldn't you relish, you know, aren't you salivating at an opportunity like this where you could go out and actually showcase your ta- your talents? You know, and the worst case is you end up playing all the way through, right? The worst case is you end up getting, well, actually, the best case is, is you make the team and you just had, you just played football uh, for, you know, and, and look, there may be some guys that are fighting for their roster spots every year and they just never stop playing. Is that really such a terrible thing? Um, you know, for these guys that, that uh, it's just, it's the, the, the idea here is that it gives guys that are lower rung of the roster um, more opportunity and, it gives and, and there's plenty again if you do it by virtue of the teams themselves having their own kind of uh semi-pro uh, you know their 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 uh extensions of their own franchises meaning that they also play at the venues that currently exist so that means that the owners can rake in whatever attendance value there is at their own home stadiums and so, hey, there. That's that's not nothing. That's um that's some revenue coming in, and of course, you know whatever um you it also allows. I mean, from a league perspective, there are you know essentially the league contracts for television. By the way, that is what what drives the league revenue, and that's what establishes the salary cap. Uh, television is a hugely important part of all of this. Um, but maybe you don't deal with with Fox and CBS and and ESPN. Maybe. Um, it's an opportunity to have some deals with uh, some different broadcasters. And if you are, if you happen to be somebody that's tied in with the NFL and you're listening to me, what I'm saying is maybe you can find people that can compete for the opportunity to carry your games. As in, bid your services. Because, hello, it's the NFL. And if they have the opportunity to tap into that, then maybe... And look, it may not be... It's, it's almost certainly not going to be the same level as like the mega huge deal that you just signed with Fox, for example... But hey, man, it's a lot. It's 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 a lot more than nothing, and it's definitely it's it's taking advantage of an opportunity that exists out there if you create this model that I'm describing. So I mean, it's a what I'm saying is that there are financial reasons that the league should take this into consideration. There are ways that you can make serious money doing this. In my opinion, I think that it's a model that can absolutely work. But then on top of that, it, it gives the fans something that they want, and it gives the players and another you know opportunity and look there's going to be parameters that um that that are required i mean there are just going to be guys and just like it is right now after a while there are guys that stop getting invited to training camp when you get to be 25 26 27 years old uh you know it's like all right dude you you know you've you've had you know you've you've been in the minor leagues now you've 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 spent your time in double a and triple a uh maybe it's just you know not going to happen for you and those guys don't get invited back and that and i would imagine the same sort of attrition happening here but you know which would mean this particular league would be comprised of pretty young guys uh, you know, so wasn't, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, it's it's basically like the step between college and the pros, if if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and I think that, like I say, I think that there are um, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, 
possibilities with this. You know what? I, I would love the article that accompanies this. Uh, if you listen to this, there there you may have been driven to it by an article that shows up at dogsbynature.com. There's a, a comment section there. If you are so inclined, what do you think would be a cool name for a team, whether it be a Cleveland team or any of the teams? I haven't really thought that all the way through, but again, I think that there's marketing opportunities there. There's, there's all kinds of opportunities here, and it's something that the people would want. It's something that people would want to see. People that are dying Hards. Look, how many how much time, money, effort, and energy and interest was invested in this latest in this last draft season? Okay? Imag- there, there's obviously a thirst for this stuff. And what it, those people right now are I'm, I'm one of them. They're they're jonesing right now for some football. And you can give it to them. Yeah, I know that Major League Baseball and the NBA are um, you know, they're they're not gonna dig it, but whatever, who cares? You know, this is we're we're talking about football here and besides it's still a minor league if if minor league football is beating the mlb well then mlb you've got you've got your own problem and 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 the mlb does have a problem with marketing but that's a whole that's a whole i'm not going to get into all that right now uh, in fact i don't think that there's much more for me to get into other than um what the uh, the items that uh that we've we've covered here which uh really was um was was uh, spearheaded by the question from Joshua, who I appreciate via email, uh, which you can do uh, easyweave at gmail dot com if you want to ask me a question or give me a suggestion for things that I can do within the program or uh, any of that, or just you know taunt me and make fun of me and call me names. You certainly can do that too, uh, and maybe you know maybe I'll, I'll email back and, and do the same in kind. You never know. I mean, I'm 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 weird like that, but. I am also very appreciative that you are there uh, in the audience, that you have uh, taken time out of, uh, not necessarily taken time out of what you were doing, that, but, that, but that while you were doing whatever it was that you were doing, that you uh, had me along with you there. I, I appreciate it, as I always do. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll yeah, catch you again here soon. This has been Easy Does It. My name is Easy Weave here on the DBN Network. And until next time, good luck, God bless, stop. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.